0: Welcome to the Creators Podcast. This show brings together artists, event organizers, public speakers, and online educators to share their knowledge and promote the arts and education. Please remember to subscribe, like, and share us on your favorite streaming channel so we can continue to bring you these unique guests and their stories. Creators Podcast is brought to you by ShowMe.life. ShowMe is a portal for discovering the best concerts, classes, and life experiences, both live and online. Find your next experience on ShowMe.life. That's S-H-O-M-E-E dot life. Let's just come out and say it. Social media isn't social anymore. I'm not even sure what part it really plays in our lives today. Luckily, video conferencing platforms like Zoom exist and have finally taken off. And, as Mark Zuckerberg keeps repeating in Senate hearings, have given us a new way of connecting with the people we care about. Just ask my guest in this episode, Alethea Lawton, owner of Neptune's Daughter, a spiritual retreat center based in the UK. In this last year, not only was she able to expand her business through offering online workshops, but it's also allowed her to get access to people and experiences that might not have been available to her before the pandemic forced everyone to take their businesses online and across the globe. So as a meditation instructor and spiritual healer, is she saying that someone could actually have a transformational experience over a Zoom call? Well, why not? And if that's possible, then what's possible for you or your business and what you're trying to personally achieve? Let's find out. Here is Alethea. Alethea, how are you? I am very good, thanks. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Tell me again the background of your name. It's such a beautiful name.
1: Um, well, um, thank you so much because I actually chose it myself. I recently changed my name by Deephole because I was never happy with the name that I was born with. And I just really felt that now is the time to sort of step into my new self. So I actually did a really lovely ritual on 21st of December. So it was Yule it was at the same time as the Grand Conjunction. And I did this, you know, sort of really beautiful naming ceremony with my friend who witnessed it. And uh, I became Alethea, which is um, a Greek name and it means truth.
0: Very nice. Yeah, I think stepping into one's new self is kind of the theme for 2021, isn't it?
1: Very, very much so. It it really just felt, it's something I'd been thinking about for a while. I'd actually been writing under that name for about 15 years or maybe even longer, but now really seemed like the right time to sort of shed the past and step into that, you know, sort of new stage of being.
0: Right, absolutely. Well, very good. Well, that sort of leads us to kind of what we're here to talk about, which is really change, right? Changes that we didn't anticipate and kind of forced everyone to kind of change their business and change the way they look at everything and could have been everything in their life, relationships and and jobs and this and that. Give us a background on your company and how it got started uh, before COVID.
1: Well, my company is called Neptune's Daughter and um, I set it up partly to be running spiritual retreats with my dear friend, Mima Cornish, who has her own healing business hedgerows healing and we've been working together for a number of years at a home education children's camp because we both home educated our children you know long before covid made that the norm you know that's that's what we chose to do for our children's education anyway and we worked together in the sacred space at this camp, working with children and families to just give them sort of a, a spiritual aspect to things. So we would teach things about folklore, connecting with nature, ritual, meditation, you know all these sort of like really useful transformational tools that sort of support the spiritual side of both children and their parents. So taking a very holistic approach. And that's where we decided to start offering spiritual retreats together. And we did um, workshops and talks at various events. I remember we did a really nice workshop at the Occult Conference that's held in Glastonbury. And our workshop was about how to write a ritual in 10 minutes because, sort of, lots of people get really caught up in how everything's got to be perfect and they've got to do it this way and they've got to do that. And we're like, nope, you can do a ritual in 10 minutes and it can be really effective and it can be really meaningful. So we had this group of people. We didn't know who was going to come to the workshop. So we, none of us had worked together before. We taught people through the principles of ritual. And then we got everybody to collaborate, put together um, what they chose to do. We were like, what theme do you want? They wanted to do a healing ritual. And we put together this really beautiful healing ritual that, um, you know, we really did right in 10 minutes. And then we did the ritual and everybody was just you know, like, wow, that was, it was a really beautiful experience. So those were the kind of things that we were doing. We were working towards supporting people on their own personal spiritual journey. Um, the, The big theme to what we do is empowerment. It's, we're all about supporting people to develop their own spiritual practices and find their own way of connecting with whatever it is that they, you know, they want to connect with the universe, divine source, God, you know, whatever it is that they want to build that deeper relationship with. Um, I find that a lot of the sources out there are very prescriptive. Like a lot of them derive practices from Wicca, which, you know, there is nothing wrong with Wicca, but if you're not actually part of that tradition, it may not be the most appropriate approach for you to take. And there are other ways which are probably more effective for people, particularly when they're working on their own. So we work towards giving people these tools, giving people these choices, so that when they do something, they're doing it from a place of knowledge and a place of power, which then makes it so much more meaningful for them as an individual, because they know that they're doing something which works, something that actually speaks to them on a personal level, So they have that connection with it rather than going through the motions because that's what everybody else says that they should be doing.
0: Yes. Well, well, those are very important points. Okay. So if it's not sort of obvious to you by my name or by the way I look, I am of Indian descent. So the topic of meditation and ritual and this sort of practice was impressed upon me at a very young age. But you said something that, I think is very important, which is something that works. This is the way I look at it. If you go to the gym, you spend 30 minutes there, you you come out of it and you feel like, yeah, that was worth it. I got something out of it. I know I I definitely feel something was achieved. Why shouldn't meditation be the same way? Why shouldn't, you know, doing any kind of spiritual practice be the same way? You should know immediately what was the benefit, and what was the goal, and did you did you at least get closer to that goal, right?
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I've seen this quite a lot that, you know, it comes up on groups that I'm on, um, you know, in discussions that we're in about people going, well, I've tried to meditate, but I can't. I don't believe that's true. I believe every single person has the ability to meditate. But what people can't do is use every single method successfully, because, um, you know, in the West, we quite often look to the East for our inspiration. You know, we, we see the East as being a very spiritual place, you know, you know, Hinduism, um, Buddhism, you know, they've all given us a lot of really beautiful spiritual practices. Um, But what I think a lot of people don't realise is that there is a really strong cultural element to a lot of these practices as well. And there are techniques and traditions which have evolved around that culture, which aren't necessarily as easy for somebody who isn't of that culture to work with. And what I found is that a lot of people, they try and do something because they think that this is what you need to do. And then they don't get the result that they expect. And then they go, well, that's it. It doesn't work. So um, to give you an example, um, a lot of people talk about walking meditations um, and the traditional walking meditations. You walk very slowly and you focus on like, you know, every part of your foot as it touches the ground and you're very mindful about it. And I find that really boring. I have tried walking meditations. They do not work for me. But um, I did a day long workshop with a yoga teacher um, when I was living in New Zealand. And she taught us this really beautiful moving meditation where you basically draw energy from the earth and you offer it up to the heavens and you do it in um, six different directions. And it's it's got a very hypnotic, balletic movement to it. And I absolutely love, love that meditation because it keeps me moving. It, you lose yourself in that movement and you achieve that respite where you are focused, but not, you know, your brain isn't working at a mile a minute. You're actually in that zone where you can relax. You can just be. And I've taught that meditation at camp. And again, most people that do it come out and go, what we were doing that for 10 minutes, it felt like two. Like, yes, that's oh. how you know it was working. And there are some people that are just like, oh, no, I was just worrying about where my feet was going or where my hands were going to be and I couldn't relax. And that's the thing. Meditation is not one size fits all. There are hundreds of different techniques out there. So if it's not working for you, it just means that you haven't found the right technique yet. And that's one of the things that we do is we work with people to find out where they're at okay what hasn't worked right let's figure out why that is and what exactly are you trying to achieve because from my perspective it doesn't really matter how you get to that goal it's about getting to that goal and if you get there by a different path to me that doesn't make your path any less valid because we ended up in the same place and that's what matters
0: Absolutely. So I'm hearing two things. One is that it's important to have a goal to know why you're sitting down to do this, correct? Yeah. Okay. And number two is the act of doing is the meditation. I think there's a misconception about meditation is the sort of thing that you're either going to experience it or not experience it. In other words, you have to sit long enough until you experience something. But I'm kind of hearing from you that the practice of doing is the meditation itself.
1: Pretty much. I mean, I, I think that um, it really helps to know what, you know what benefits you're going to get, what experience you're going to have. Now, in some ways, that's going to be very, very personal. So I can't tell you precisely what you're going to experience when you do a meditation, because that's going to be personal to you. But at the same time, if you're saying to me, well, I want to feel more relaxed. And I go, okay, let's do this moving meditation. And we do that. And at the end of it, you're you're actually more stressed because you couldn't figure out where your feet were going. You haven't achieved what you wanted to achieve. And with meditation, the effects can be subtle. So for example, for the past few weeks, I've been doing a quantum meditation that a friend of mine recorded. And I was talking to her about it the other day. And I said to her, I can't say for definite that it is your meditation that is completely Um, responsible for all these really cool things that I've got going on because I'm doing a few other things as well so I couldn't pull out one thing and say that's responsible but at the same time I'm getting to this really cool place and I don't want to remove any of those elements because clearly whatever it is that's working it's working so you know I think with meditation sometimes we can get Caught up in, we can, you know, yes, knowing the goal is important, but at the same time, we can get so caught up in, I want the result, I want to be relaxed, that it becomes this counterproductive, you're too focused on the destination and you're losing sight that it's the journey. Because what I found with meditation is that you don't necessarily know the effects like the second you stop you you can tell that you've entered an altered state there are there are little tells so for example you know time time tends to move differently so you can sit down for a meditation I have some really great theta meditations they're half an hour long um but it it doesn't feel like half an hour you always come out going oh wow it was that long I didn't realize so that that transcendence of time is a really good tell that you were there that it's, it's quite difficult to explain, but that feeling of being without distraction, um, and sometimes it only, might only last for a split second during a meditation, particularly when you're first starting out, but that's another little sign. But the, the overall effects can be very subtle, and it's only when you've been doing it for, say, a week, two weeks, a month, and you suddenly go, actually... When that guy cut me off when I was driving to work, I didn't yell a number of expletives at him. I was like, hey, dude, enjoy your day. And it's those little subtle changes that suddenly, you know, build up. And we go, yeah. And that's one of the reasons why actually I think, you know, journaling, keeping a meditation journal, noticing how you were feeling before the meditation, how were you feeling afterwards? How is your day gone? How has your mood been? These things show us that we are actually having the result that we want. And they also show us that we're not having the result that we want. And that's the point at which we go, okay, that's not been working just now. So how can I shift things a little? How can I pivot? Because I know I'm, I'm onto something, but it's not quite working for me. So what do I need to tweak a bit to get me to where I want to be? So it sounds like you're
0: able to design a meditation for each person.
1: Pretty much. It's, it is It is very much about working with the individual. There's, there's an element of intuition in there. There's an element of going, OK, I don't know why I think you should be trying this, but let's go with it. But you can also, I think, when you've spoken to somebody for a while, get a good sense of kind of where they're going to be at. So, for example, if you've got somebody who's really type A, overachieving, on the go, boom, 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 boom they're not going to be the kind of person that's going to immediately do one of those sort of sit down cross legs stare at your navel for 10 minutes because they're they're going to be bored their mind is going to be still racing off in all these different directions but somebody like that doing um mantra meditation or a guided meditation where they're actually talked through the relaxation process and allowed to just let somebody else do the heavy lifting for them while their mind just goes on this beautiful journey with them. That might suit them better. Um, You know, it's it's like with yoga. Um, I've tried various different forms of yoga over the years. I'm I'm a huge fan, but I found that I cannot stand Hatha because I'm one of those type A people. And I find that Hatha is very much get into one position. Now let's stay there for five minutes and breathe. And I'm like, well, I I can breathe anytime, you know? Whereas I love Ashtanga because that's working at my own pace, it's working with my breath at my pace and my body's engaged and because my body's engaged my mind can relax and I can drop into that stillness really easily That is will completely elude me if I'm doing a Hatha practice. So you know after a while you do get a, a good sense for what kind of person's going to connect with what type of exercise and who's going to find something really meaningful, and who's just going to get really frustrated.
0: Definitely, I get how it would be easy to design a personalized meditation practice for someone if you were in a one-on-one setting or in a small workshop. Tell me how doing this online has changed for you and for your students.
1: What we've been doing, um, and what I've observed other people doing, is that with the online arena, you can still control the numbers. You can still keep it small you can still keep it intimate Um, and you can get people to talk to you actually in ways that they might find more difficult in person because you know like for example zoom has the function to just speak to the person hosting so Mm -hmm. you can put your message in and not feel stupid about raising that question where if you're in a group somebody might feel too self-conscious to put their hand up and ask a question and it doesn't matter how much you say to people, you know, the, the only stupid question is the unanswered one. You know, If you're thinking something, chances are somebody else is thinking it as well. Um, but people still do feel self-conscious even when you've created this nurturing safe space. Um, but online, people can actually connect with you one-on-one and, one and go well actually I was a bit concerned about that or they can message you after the class and go you know I, I wasn't sure about this or this is what I got and it was really personal so I didn't feel like sharing because quite often you know, you say to people who would like to share and I remember once we did a ritual and it was um, I think it was a lunar eclipse and, and we did this sort of really nice ritual with um, oracle cards and things and after it's like does anybody want to share nobody did because what they'd experienced was so personal to them, it just didn't feel right to share it. Um, But with online, you you can sit on it. You can then, when you feel that you want to say something, you can send a message. So for example, I did a class, my friends running a um, sort of movement, meditation, dance, five week series. And um, there was after the class last week. It was like here's journal prompt. You know, write your thoughts about this. And I started r- writing, and I just channeled this poem about personal freedom and getting lost in all the responsibilities of life, and how that freedom is still there if you if you can just connect with it. And so, you know, I wrote it down, and then I had it, you know, in the private group. I wouldn't have shared that on my Facebook page with everybody. You know, Uh Uh so the online arena allows you to be as open as you feel comfortable being because you can control your audience in a way that you can't necessarily control a group of people in person. You know, you can't you can maybe speak to the instructor afterwards one on one, but maybe they're already speaking to somebody else or maybe they've got somewhere else that they need to be. You know, there's so many reasons why you might not be able to speak to somebody directly in person. But online, people have that anonymity. There's that degree of separation that supports people to open up. You know, and we see this as a negative thing, you know, with a lot of the trolling and, and all that kind of thing that goes on. But there is a positive side to that as well, in that people feel comfortable opening up and saying things that they might not have the courage to say to you in person, but they can type it in the chat and and let it go and feel comfortable that you're going to honor their essence, their spirit, and come back with the support that they need.
0: Absolutely. How did you have to change the way that you teach or the way you engage with uh, your students, um, and what might be some things that others can learn from your experience?
1: Well, what I found interesting was that Mimer and I had actually made a conscious decision that we were going to focus on building our audience Um, in 2020, before COVID hit. So it it was sort of quite interesting for us to sort of having already made that decision to step back a little bit from in-person workshops that kind of the universe conspired and went, well, you can't do it anyway, ha! (laughs) Um, So we we co-authored a book together and we put this book out there, um, which I'm really proud of it. It's, It's about connecting with the magic of the elements and working with the four elements with little meditations and exercises that you can just do by yourself to make those meaningful connections. Um, And I put out a couple of other books as well. And what I found really exciting about what's been going on is that the internet, like it always had these possibilities. It was always possible to do, you know, sort of Zoom stuff or whatever was, you know, Skype stuff, you know, That technology's been there for a long time, but uh, people haven't really been utilising it to its full effect. And what's happened over the past year is that we've been forced into using it. And actually, it's opened up these really exciting possibilities. So, for example, the class that my friend is running, well, she's in America. The classes are actually at midnight my time now. If we weren't in the middle of a pandemic, she would be doing those classes in person and I'd be missing out. But instead, I've signed up to the classes. She sends out the recording. I don't do it at midnight when you've got five children and a house full of animals. It is just not going to happen. But I can do it. And that's an option that just wouldn't have been there for me if COVID hadn't hit And I really, really hope that people continue to do their online offerings, continue to open up to a global audience, because that's the thing is like when you're just doing in-person things, you are limiting yourself to who can get there in person. And, you know, yes, I know I've traveled a lot. I mean, I went out to America, which is actually where I met my friend who's doing the class I went out to Austin for a spiritual retreat, um, November, 2019. Absolutely changed my life worth every penny. But I know that not everybody has that luxury to be able to do that kind of journey. Um, So being able to offer things to people in an online arena gives all these possibilities. And, you know, I think before this happened, lots of people were quite sceptical about what could work online, which is possibly why people didn't experiment with them. Um, you know, I deal with a lot of light lightworkers. Um, I have another friend that I met when I was over in, in America. She does angel readings and healings, and she's done me readings and healing online. You can feel that energy. Anybody who says to you that you cannot feel that energy over the Internet you're not working with the right people because you can really, really feel it. Um, you know, it, it's quite spooky. <laughs> if you're not expecting it, it can be quite overwhelming, but it's there and it works. Um, you know, just in other things, I, I, I sing as well. And my singing teacher, I know a lot of people with music have found that there are problems with time delays and and the sound. Mm -hmm. So people are getting creative around that. You know, my singing teacher, she sends over the background music for the exercises first, so you can play them at your end and she can still hear you singing along to the exercises. There are so many creative things going that are opening up all these possibilities that where in the past, I think people might've been limited to like, well, who am I gonna get to come to my event? How much are people going to pay? You know, what are their travel costs? What do they need to do in terms of accommodation? All these things that were considerations when you're putting on an event. If you can find a way to move it into the online arena, then a lot of those options, those consider they just don't exist. And something I've loved over the past year is actually how many famous people I've been able to get close to, you know, and for not very much money. Mm-hmm. You know, I've going to after parties, I love RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, <laughs> the, the, there's a UK season that's airing now. And I've been to after parties, which are done by some of the queens who have been competing. And it's cost me like five pounds. And I've been able to have these shows, you know, you celebrate with the people right after the show has been aired. I couldn't do that otherwise. I live in Wales. All these things happen in London. I'm not going to go down to London for like a nine o'clock drag show on a Thursday evening. You know, it's not going That's to happen. Great. But instead, I've been able to do these things. And, you know, there have been things that I haven't been able to do. And I mourn those things because, you know, I really love going out. I, I go to the world's strongest man. That's not an option. And At the moment, I don't even know if it's going to be an option this year either. But at the same time, I've been able to make these other connections and have these other experiences that were not possible before people started thinking, hang on, we've got this thing called the internet. Let's use it and bring people together and find the positives here. So I think that if you can be creative, if you can get it, what we were talking about earlier about the goal, what are you trying to achieve if you're trying to bring people together that's still possible it might not be the same you might not be able to give somebody a hug after they've been through a really sort of moving meditation but you can be there for them you can listen and you can still facilitate that experience so it comes down to actually looking at what you want to achieve and then being creative and how you're going to achieve that because actually an awful lot is still possible and you can still give people these meaningful experiences. And in some ways they can be made more meaningful because they have direct access to you in a way that maybe they couldn't have had before we were all forced to, to get this creative. So that there are so many opportunities out there. It's just a question of thinking, What do I want to achieve? How can I achieve that using the tools available to me right now? Because there's always a way.
0: Isn't it amazing that uh, people have figured out how to make these virtual meetings more social, more personal than social media? Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, social media has just become noise. I don't know if there was ever a time where I felt like, yeah, this this really is connecting me to people. In a meaningful way. Even just doing this podcast has introduced me to so many people, not just the people that I talk to, but people that uh, comment and uh, or, or just email me to, to comment on the podcast. I'm actually communicating with these people, and I'm I'm hearing what they're interested in and what they're really thinking. Facebook doesn't do that for me. No,
1: no. I mean, you know, I'm really old. I, I remember the days of Live Journal. <laughs> yeah, um, I think like I I've that. Not Been on MySpace, but I was on Live Journal. Uh, yeah. Yeah but those friends, we sort of all migrated to Facebook as Facebook took off. But you're right, you don't have the same kind of connection because I think Facebook at one point limited how much you could post, it's... It's a lot more like here is a picture of my food, you know, here is two sentences about my mood. Here's a funny meme. Oh, here's my opinion about politics. Oh, my gosh. Now I've lost half my friends.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's right. You're kind of not just Facebook, but really every every platform like that. You're kind of subject to what their algorithms think you are actually interested in and what is valuable to you. It's it's, you know, totally. It's not social. (laughs) I I don't even know why. And I really hate that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because it's the echo chamber. You know, Facebook and all the social media algorithms, they go, oh, you like that. That's obviously all that you want to know about. And you end up with this, like, little bubble and it's not even, as you say, it's not you creating that bubble. It's Facebook deciding what's going to be in your bubble. And I want to choose my own bubble. Thank you very much, Mr. Zuckerberg.
0: And that's why your workshop exists, right? For for people to come and explore anything they want to explore. Correct? Absolutely. Alethea, I had a fantastic time talking with you. I am going to investigate a little bit more about your workshops. I may even sign up for one because maybe it's time that I awesome. also uh, rediscover meditation. And and maybe you know you will help me to sort of personalize it for something that I may not even know I need right now.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, always happy to help.
0: All right, fantastic. So before we go, please share your homepage wherever people can get a hold of you.
1: Well, um, I'm open to people sending me friend requests on Facebook. I am there as Thea Fay. That's Faye. That's F A Y E, and I think I'm Facebook.com/slash Thea S Fay. Um, so yeah, send me a friend request. Well, you know we can get you and you can be in my bubble um you can find me on amazon again thea fay there and you'll see my books um i've got some more books coming out some really exciting ones planned for later this year um or you can go to our website um neptunesdaughter.co.uk but you can connect with us there you can send us a message you can join our mailing list and uh, yeah we can connect and uh, you can learn all about the stuff we've got going on.
0: Fantastic. Well, thanks so much, Alethea. It was so nice talking with you.
1: And you. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. All right. Take care.